This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc.com slash drink. Hmm. <laughs> what to, how to say, how to say what to say and how do I say it? Christine. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Welcome to And That's Why We Drink. We tell you scary stories about ghosts and about murderers. And those are the reasons why we drink, except we also have more. Christine, do you have anything to complain about? Oh, always. Uh, Thank you for asking once again. Um, I have something here. I'm going to like turn the computer to show you what's next to me. Oh, my God. I've well, let me move my geriatric pill container because that's also next to me. Um, <laughs> this is not a joke. I received what? this in the mail. Oh God! What is it? Yeah. More teeth? What is it? No, it's probably worse. It is hundreds of photographs. Oh my God! They're like dead people. <gasps> I, I, they're not dead in the photographs, but they are clearly dead now. I mean, look at this one. I have some in my room. Okay, I received a box, and it was very ominous, and it had a name on it. I totally forget who sent it. It had a return address, Hmm. but that's it. It had a return address, and then I opened the box, and it was just piles of these photographs. And on the back, they're, like, signed. It's This one says, Levi Bond, two years and seven months old. I mean, these photos are from, like, the... uh, what what decade would you say that? Also, eighteen uh, hundreds. I, I, I would say it's from the um, eighteen. It it was um, 
pre-1920s. And I only yes. say that because I have exact pictures like that right now that are from before the 1920s. And I could hear, you want to do another sound where you drop one? Because it's not just paper. Oh, the they're tin like, ones? Yeah, they're like... Yeah, I have tin tin type photos in here. Oh, like, look at this. This is literally on the back of it is an ad for crayons oh. <laughs> from 1889. Ooh. I mean, like, I'm telling you, when I opened this and there were all these photos fell out of all these... I mean, hello, look at this broad. She looks like she knows how I'm going to die. This um, is probably... <laughs> here. Yeah. I don't know how to t- how to show... But, like, there's, like, little tin... But they just arrived. And some of them say, like, Cincinnati, Ohio on them. And if you sent these to me, uh, brava, because you really scared me. I opened this... <laughs> And there was no note. There was nothing except no explanation, nothing except all these creepy photos of old dead people. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, I feel like I was just listening to another podcast as well. Oh, this guy's very handsome, though. Oh, Um, hey, girl. Okay. He's a looker. I just like like creepy Victorian children, like black and white photos of like sepia photos of children who are now deceased it's it's really creeping me out um and i put them in my closet because i like kind of love them and i kind of hate them all at the same time you put them in the same spot where you put everything you hate put them in the closet that everything goes especially haunted stuff and then i was like oh it's so weird i keep getting all this strange activity in my office and then someone my brother blaze was like didn't you get like a million I mean, hello. If this is not a ha- a lady, a haunting picture, I mean, her eyes are missing. Like, she literally you know, has no eyes. And like, I mean, she does look a bit like she was the prototype for a Spirit Halloween corpse. Right. It looks like it's a With fake love. thing. But like, she's yeah. beautiful. Like, eighteen ninety one. I'm, sure she, I'm um, sure she had a great heart. So, and it like family portraits, and you know, like the amount people spent on a photo, like one of these portraits of their whole family, like you know, this was like a prized possession. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the amount of money Oof. and just like the amount of. I do think it's real ballsy. Like, I mean, I can kind of low key call her a spirit Halloween corpse because I'm not in the room with her, but it's real bold of you in the same breath to say, there's a lot of activity in this room. Also, look at her, she doesn't have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay you got me there um, if she could see she'd be looking at you so hard right now i call these people mom and dad um they are, <laughs> they are... i call his beard my pet <laughs> look at her braid you know what know she you looks like it. she appreciated the benefits of a library <laughs> oh maybe she likes my messy ass closet um uh, yeah, anyway, I just like I just I've been meaning to show these to you for probably like three months because I got them a long time ago. Like, well, ago. hello, Christine. You've been saying, oh, I don't know why, but things feel I, weird in here. Things feel it, weird in here. I know it's so stupid. It occurred to me the other day when somebody made the connection for me and I went, oh, Ooh. of all the pictures, you know, how like when you pull like a tarot card or you pull like you have to go with like what oh, your yeah. soul is feeling your intention. If you had to pull one that you think might have an attachment to it, which one do you think it is? I oh. think it's girly with the no eyes. Girly with no eyes. This one looks like um, Eleven from Stranger Things to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, 
it, uh, um, I would say probably these like a dust bowl survivors. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's a hard question to answer because literally all of them scare the shit out of me. Um, and no one's ever smiling, of course, and they all wearing long white Victorian dresses. I mean, it, it, anyway, I, I just like felt like I had to share this. And if you sent these to me again, brava, but also reveal yourself, because in my <laughs> mind, I've created a narrative that like a ghost sent these to me from beyond, you know, Um and I'm supposed I, to like do something with them. I, I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. Like, I want I don't want to just toss them. They seem like people's memories, you know. But also, it does feel like like if it was one or two, I could see you hanging yeah. them on a wall and like put lighting a candle for them. But there's there really is hundreds next to right? you. Like, like, what do you do with them? Like, it, it's it, statistically speaking, some of these people had to be assholes. At least someone some was a piece of shit. Yeah, right. Like, I don't think. I necessarily want to invite all of these people's energy into my home. So I'm sort of like, how do I go about handling these? Does anybody know? Like, I, should I give them to like a historic site? Like, I don't really know what to do. Well, and especially I yeah. like them because I feel like it's fun to like look through and see people's memories and families. But part of me is like, well, I don't know if I'm the one who should hold on to them. Um, Maybe you wait. can pull one. What? Sorry, this lady. <laughs> Literally what? has standing next to a chair, and on the chair is just her beautiful hat. It has its own. She's, she's the like, one you have to light a candle for. You <laughs> must. The hat is the one. The dead ostrich or whatever that was made into a she, hat is the one. She I have deserves to... <laughs> to be framed with a candle for her. A thousand. Percent. I mean, amen. Like she is so extra. She literally is standing next to a chair. She's not even sitting because the hat has taken the front seat. Uh, I like stage. to think there's either two narratives going on. One. It's giving like feminist and she's like, I don't need a man. Here's my fucking fashion yeah, for I you. I married my hat. <laughs> or also like she was in a shitty relationship. The guy didn't make it to their photo appointment. Ugh. And she was like, you know what? This is what you're worth to me. I'm going yeah. to put the hat in your place and the picture will be even better than if it'll you were look here. better than if you were here. Also, a picture takes like what, 16 days to take in the 1800s. So mm -hmm. like <laughs> he could have made it. For at least half, but he never showed. You know, she cowboy went home. Child. Cowboy oh, child. Is um, it a cowboy or is he just wearing a sun hat? Well, <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? Like I don't have bonnet. the answer. I don't have. Like I don't have the answer for you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, it, I do. Uh, what about what? If, okay, so what if like I don't know enough of the witchy world, but I do believe there's probably something where you can put them all in like one big binder and like do like a a, a little respect. Actual. Like a, a mass, uh, an, an like Ellen a mass ritual, letting them go and onto the right. light or something. Um, but what if like one of them sticks around, you know? I do feel like you should pull a couple and whatever like uh, speaks to you. Maybe mm. they're supposed to be with you and the others can be brought well, to nice. an archival space. I mean, it does say they're from Cincinnati. So those people did live in your neighborhood. Ooh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Some of them are like Dayton. Some of them are Indiana. They're all like some of them, local. Girl, you should go to your own fucking cemetery. Oh, no. And see if any of them are buried there. <laughs> like you say my own cemetery. Like I, like I own and operate it. 
<laughs> well, if you lived on it, I I think of you as the groundskeeper. So yeah, you're not wrong in that respect. My cats and I did spend an inordinate amount of time in that. But cemetery. that's the one you should keep. How eerie would it be if one of them actually has been buried in your front yard this whole time? That's horrifying. Well, here's one of another cowboy child who might just be in a sun hat, but he's not even in a hat. He's just okay. a child. <laughs> Child. But he's wearing like little booties and like a little ascot. Okay, maybe that's just what happened when it was dirty everywhere. I did. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll just mail them to you. You seem to have a good understanding of how these. Uh... No, I'm meaner. I think I'd put them in the trash. So I probably think... just like throw them away immediately. Yeah, I'd be fair. like. I'll, in the dumpster, I'd say I leave you with love and light. Farewell. This one, I, this one I, <laughs> farewell. This one I call Walter because his eyes really frighten me. He um, has enough eyes for him and that other girl. Yeah, Damn. maybe he took hers. Hey, that he's wearing he's wearing a fedora. Is he a cowboy or? Oh, like... you know what? Em? I've had just about enough of your attitude today. Um. Anyway, I just like I felt like we should all. This is the last one I'll show you. This bearded man. That's I just Abraham I feel like... Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> what if it was? Um. As a child, Abraham Lincoln as a child. <laughs> With his white beard. <laughs> He's from Kentucky, isn't he? Log cabin. Okay. I'm so sorry. I, I'm done. Uh, I just, I like, that's why I drink for many months now. Shit, that's They've why just, I drink. And I, I kept accidentally finding them because, like you said, there's hundreds and I would, like, put them in a pile <sighs> and then, like, one would slide out and be, like, clank on the floor and I would look down and it'd be, like, a ruffly Victorian child staring at me. And it's just like, it's been so unsettling to have these in my presence, but I also kind of love them. I don't know. You know, you know, I love them also a little bit, man. Um, I do know you love them, which <laughs> makes me a little nervous because I don't think you're ever going to fully relinquish them. No, I'm not. They're just I'm not. Unless there's like a really now. sincere reason someone says I should, then I'm not. Um, sorry, everybody. But I do think it's lovely that someone sent them to you knowing, and it was a little a manipulative of like, it, it felt a little like they knew like, what they were. We, yeah. we both know Christina's not going to get rid of them. So at least I yeah. know they're safe in her house. But, but I mean, you are the right person to love them if they need, if that's what they need. So if they needed a home sure yeah you cornered me person dear sender i took them i i'm giving them a home and um sometimes they are on the floor and i'm sorry about that but they're not in the trash so they would be in the trash with me so you sent them to the right person <laughs> you sent um, them to the right and this was months ago so i imagine you would have gotten some too if this were like a double gift oh you know um, i'll send mine but... to you too then you'll okay double. thank you <laughs> I, uh, it's not that I, like, I am just as sentimental as you are when it comes to, like, the fact that they were somebody's prized possession, but I love me more than that, oh. and, like, I, <laughs> I have to have a spiritual boundary and not allow hundreds of people I don't know to come into my yeah. home. I mean, I so, also have to do that. I'm just, I just simply don't. I just simply can't. So, yeah, you're I right. Also, I have so many pictures of my own great, 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 great grandparents I never met. And I know they're just following me around now. I've got enough going on. Maybe you know? that's so. part of it. Maybe I wish I had photos of my own family. Mm. Like, I don't really have any. I don't know if I've ever even really seen any. So I'm like, maybe I just feel like, oh, this could be my grandma, which is a really insane thought. To wow. Have looking at a lady with no eyes. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it just is what happened. I'm sorry. Well, I so I am currently on a mission um, where. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Through, well, it's not as wild as most of my stuff. But um, on Ancestry, I'm trying to find pictures of all That's 16 right. of my great, great grandparents. Right. And I've gotten, I think, half of them. Jeez. And 
I'm trying to put all their their Wait, faces where are together. Where you getting the photos? On Ancestry? Who's putting them there? Like, there's other people who've made trees, and I'm somehow distantly related to them. Oh, my and... God. Are you serious? I think it's because mm-hmm. my family's from Europe. Like, there's not a single person. Do you well, know what I mean? Like, there's no connection. Like, people over there don't really use it. So it's like, there's just no way to speaking, track. It's like my grandma can hear me. She's calling me right now. No um, way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, like, I, we don't, to be fair, there's not, like, a lot of pictures. And they were also prized possessions. But um, I am surprised at how the ones I do have are in very good condition. And so I'm, like, trying wow. to figure out did i already tell you this i'm thinking of framing them and making it look like spirit halloween um Uh, and i got you beat because i have eighty five thousand to those actually those that those are actually just terrifying yeah these Um, are just from spirit halloween i think but my dream is to put all 16 faces up and then be like who do i look like and just try to see where my like where my looks came from you can like circle like charlie day red string it like yes my nose goes to my ears because so far of the eight that i have i don't look like fucking any of them so now i'm like yeah, but it's hard to say that about yourself i bet if we looked at them we'd be like oh my god this one has your eyebrow you know what i mean like i bet i i bet even i or listeners could like pinpoint some things that you don't see i'll do you know a powerpoint I mean? presentation with you and be like okay this is this person's <laughs> nostrils what do we think uh, i'll be calling uh the authorities under the table and being like okay i'm you stay put we're getting you help right now <laughs> anyway um i'm i guess that's a that's why i drink because i'm on a, a a certain quest and i already know i'm never gonna find one of them because apparently the schultz line um is just with every generation it's worse than the than the rest um like uh my grandpa was not a great guy and his dad was oh, worse like and his dad was people. worse and his dad yeah they, mm. the, the schultzes are not like really a name that i should proudly carry on i mean same with the um, schiefers let's be real like I, i'm I, I understand why there are not many photos on the internet <laughs> like, yeah family um and uh the the schultzes my like fifth great grandfather um we don't even speak about him. Remember I told Whoa. you when I first started Ancestry, I like finally found his name and I never know his name because they literally won't say his name. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. And he's apparently just supposed to be so fucking terrible at a time when it was not allowed. He was disowned by his own family and like his wife was able to get divorced and like Whoa. was taken. But so he is pretty awful. And. Because Did no his one wife ever have a really beautiful feathery hat? Because I may have found a photo of her. <laughs> well, she didn't have eyes, so that's interesting. Oh, that you say that. oh well, um, okay. What a tough relationship that must have been for both of them. <laughs> and um, she, uh, well, so I've never known anything about him, and I just know there's not a picture of him anywhere. So um, right. I'll only ever get 15 out of 16, but. Can you believe it? What if I fucking only look like him? That'd be crazy. I um, mean, maybe. Anyway, that's why I drink because I'm on I'm on a quest for sixteen faces. Well, I'm on a quest to figure out what to do with like ninety eight faces. But you know, yeah, if you've uh, already got oh, it's way too many. I'm looking for just a handful, and you've you got want a bucket. A few? <laughs> No, I don't. give you a special pick. Some of these people, like, you know, we're not good people. Like, they're super rich. And I'm like, "Mm, this is an interesting time. Uh, I really, I would, if you're going to give me any picture, it's got to be homie with the hat. I love her. She is an icon. Even if she was mean, she seems like she kind of owned it. Like, yeah, yeah. She at least was confident and self-aware enough to know it about herself. Um, Good for her. 
Yeah, I'm proud of her. Uh, oh, this seems to be a pattern. Here's another lady with a hat. Oh, wait, now I'm getting upset. Are these people like honoring a dead person or something? There's like empty chairs next to them. Oh, my. Oh, no, maybe no. the hat was someone's favorite hat. <laughs> We're such dicks. Oh, you know what? This, it's our own. It's it's the education system's fault for not teaching us. Yeah. Um, hey, I never never took 1800s photography. It's not my fault. <laughs> okay, this is Della, and she might be mourning somebody who died. And you know what? Um, I'm sorry that I didn't know that you know what it feels like if you're gonna write her fucking name on the back of that you could also write more information like you could i would think so um somebody was was out of town oh so maybe they, maybe somebody was just traveling for they the couldn't... 16 days it took take to take this photograph i don't know they couldn't know. rebook their appointment that's crazy uh, i guess not two hours east of franklin i mean geez this seems like quite a uh quite a journey people had to go on to get these photographs taken i like um, to think it was in their version of like a sears mall and it they yeah just had to... well no there's a name on the bottom of a lot of these that is like clearly a studio it's called this one doddridge studios in mentone indiana you know they were like the the hop and the place. to get your photo taken <laughs> <sighs> anyway, sorry i keep talking i just like i just this is just such a weird uh, and also very me experience. Like the person who sent it really knew what they were doing. Um, you know what's wild though is think of how many now dead people's hands have touched those that's pictures. That's what I was thinking about. And I was thinking how many people's eyes looked at one of these photos every single day and thought like, oh, I miss my mommy. Aww. Or like, oh, I like, look how cute my child used to be. Or who knows what. Or or look like, at my look hat. At my, my <laughs> look at my dead mom's hat that I... Uh, I'm still being mocked for beyond the grave. Um, anyway, so I just I just felt like I should give those a little shout out. I don't know if that's going to help anything or not, or if that's just going to stir shit up. I wonder if you Unclear. can like do like some sort of um, negotiation with the historical society and be like, I'm not giving you these pictures, but I do want you to figure out who they are for free and tell free. me all about it. You know. And I think that negotiation is. A winner Pending. in my book. I don't really yeah. see any downside for <laughs> not, anyone. Not for us. Not for me, anyway. Um, okay, great. Anyway. Um, <laughs> what a way to start this. Thank you for making it nice and creepy in here. Now I have to sit next to 400. I change the number every time, but just please know, <laughs> folks. Like, I'm going to show this one more time on my camera, but there's... And this is not all of them. This is just a handful I took from my closet. Um, but Oof. there are, I mean, hundreds of them. It's multiple shoeboxes worth, probably. Multiple, yeah, for sure. Um, how big of a box got sent to you? I mean, it wasn't even that big. It was just very dense. It was probably uh, like, you know, like I a shoebox size. And it was just like packed with photos. And I just was so alarmed. Can you at least do like the, the ch -ch -ch, like, like shuffle kind oh, of thing? Oh, make uh, You know what? Actually, I'm coming to think of it. I think it might've been sent in a manila envelope, which is even creepier. <laughs> Something sinister about that. Was I'm there a sure. bloody handprint on it? You know, I may have thrown a pa the packaging away before I realized that that might contain a clue, you know? Um, <laughs> it says confidential, <laughs> leave for the police. <laughs> Do not open. <laughs> it's like a Dybbuk box. You're going to unleash something. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I'm glad to not be you. Um, <laughs> well, what else is new? <laughs> uh, okay. I have a story for you um, today. And Yay. 
I I feel like you know what's wild. 300 sound episodes i still have feel the need to tell you i have an episode like a story for you it's like uh, you know that's cracks, why we're here i do it every time too i go well i'm going to tell you a story surprise yeah by now you've probably heard about burrow a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs durable materials and details that make life in your space easier Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listeners can get 15 percent off their first order at burrow.com slash drink that's burrow b-u-r-r-o-w dot com slash drink for 15 percent off burrow.com slash drink it feels very fitting that juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy we're happy but because we're not mind readers we don't always know when they're unwell and in my experience cats are not the most you know open when it comes to sharing their woes and there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, well, my story for you is another story where it's got a lot of overwhelming information and a lot of history. So this is a 101 and I'm trying my best, but it's like a bunch of the characters have the same name. So, um, and also I did try to figure out the pronunciations for a lot of the stuff. Cause it's in fucking Romanian. Oh, super. Um, just know I tried, I tried, I tried. Okay. So um, <laughs> this is the story of the, Bram Castle, Bram Castle, and Vlad the Impaler. <gasps> Vlad Which, the what? Vlad the Impaler. Oh, I thought you said Impala, and I was like, you're already messing it up. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I didn't fuck it up that bad. Okay, good. Um, I at least knew there weren't, like, I'm thinking Impala's the car. They weren't yeah, around yeah, in yeah. the video. Chevy times. Impala, yeah. Um, okay, so this, I, and again, 
if you're like a historian and you're all about this kind of stuff, this is not the episode for you. This is not much of a deal. Or it is, and you can just, if you are a calm person who doesn't get upset by inconsistencies or, yeah. I am also equally obsessed with certain things. And if I heard just a quick overview, I'd be like, that's, you're not even mentioning really crucial things. Like, what about the Avengers? Okay, I see what you're saying. If you're someone like that, then, you know, maybe just skip right to Christine's story. So, (laughs) um, this is, I'm starting in the mid 15th century. Um, Vlad or Vlad is known uh, at the time. He's just, I'm just going to call him Vlad. Great. Um, and because he goes by a bunch of different names, but uh, what he was known for originally was that he was a voivode um, of what I think is, it's called Wallachia which is now part of Romania and a voivode. Oh, I gotcha. A voivode is this very powerful king appointed position in the military where you're like, you're essentially a like prince status. Ooh. And not only that, but you are um, raised your entire life to be ready for this position. The only way that they know that you're eligible, eligible to become one in the future is if you're a descendant of a previous voivode. Oh. Um, and so I guess, and I'm sure there's other things, but in his case, he was eligible because his father was a voivode. And I think like his great grandfather or another ancestor of his was a very powerful guy too. Okay. Um, so essentially you have to be a legacy. Right. And, uh, so he was raised training for this title to potentially be the next voivode. He was learning, um, prince-like etiquette. He was learning different languages. He was learning music and horseback riding and how to fight in combat. And he was expected to have essentially like a Spartan-like athleticism to him. Like uh, he's supposed to be perfect. Yeah, high bar. Um, yeah, something I don't want to be a boy vote. Um, it sounds like a terrible job. It sounds awful. But you go yeah. like essentially to this boarding school, and so it's like a very elitist thing. Um, I see. He was also taught through this that because he was get, getting all this experience and all this training and he was going to be this print or king appointed position in the military, he was being taught his whole life that he was very superior and he was mm-hmm. destined for like sovereignty. So um, he's a little prince. He's a little narcissist. Um, <laughs> not he's a to little pillar the two. of the community. <laughs> he's a little pillar of the community. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, he went by many names. He went by Vlad the Third. So that's one. He was also uh, known as Vlad Dracula, which Dracula, the vampire, was not a thing yet. Dracula was because um, his dad was known as Vlad Dracul and Dracula was the son of Dracul. I see. Um, So he was known as Vlad Dracul. Or no, I'm sorry. He was known as Vlad Dracula. He was Mm -hmm. known as Vlad the Third or he was also known as Vlad, I think the Romanian pronunciation is tepish it's spelled like teps um mm. but any person with a romanian accent who i saw on youtube was calling it vlad tepish um and it translates cool. to vlad the impaler oh um some in romania would call him a hero because he was like known to like take no shit essentially mm. but outside of romania he is known to be quite a bloodthirsty monster right um, i'm like i don't i've ever heard anything super good about him but right not like all of romania thinks he's a hero either but some people would argue for like devil's advocate purposes i guess that he you know right 
protected the country or something. Um, so... In 1431, or around there, we think he was born in Transylvania, which is also now a part of Romania. I think. That's what I've been told. I'm terrible at geography. Me too. Um, so don't look at me, folks. <laughs> uh, speaking of being terrible at geography, I tried to look up the pronunciation and I got three different options. So, uh-oh. Um, but his mom was a princess of Moldavia? Moldavia? Moldavia. Moldovia? I have no idea. That's Moldova. I think. Oh, Moldova. Right. Moldavia? I think it's Moldavia. But his mom was a, a princess there, and his dad was the illegitimate son of a nobleman. Illegitimate was brought up quite a lot in the research, so I feel uh-huh. like I need to say it. His dad, Vlad II, or as I call him, Vlad the Dad, um, Vlad the- <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he ended up being invited into this elite order of Christian knights that I think was also king appointed. And it was, he was called, or the order itself was called the order of the dragon. Oh my, my. And he got to be part of this, this order as a knight. Um, and I am assuming him having been a voivode himself helped him get to this. Point. Sure. Eventually Vlad, the dad, um, because he was in this order, he was uh, given a name. And so instead of Vlad II, he was called Vlad Dracul. And Dracul was translated to dragon. Ooh, that's so pretty kick-ass. Can you imagine? It's like, oh, I joined this like sick secret society, but they call yeah. me dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, that's just my alter ego, dragon. Don't worry they, about it. They call me dragon, but don't worry. I'm not like a bad boy. I'm not a bad boy. I'm just... <laughs> Only if you catch me on the wrong day side of the bed. I don't know how that phrase works. (laughs) So Vlad II, or our main character's dad, becomes known as Dragon. Um, And so his name is Vlad Dracul. And then his son becomes Vlad Dracula, which means son of Dracul or son of the dragon. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, eventually... I'm just going to start calling them dragon or son of the dragon just to get through this part. So it's because there's too many fucking Vlads. Great. I'll follow. Um, Eventually dragon, uh, (laughs) he, he (laughs) betrays the group to fight for the Ottoman empire. (gasps) That is apparently an understatement. There are chapters and chapters in history books on this. There's somebody out there who wrote an entire dissertation just on that. And you just said it and they, and then went on, moved on with your life and they are having a, I get now why you're saying people might have an existential crisis listening to this. I'm giving a log line when they wrote a whole thesis and I'm yeah. like, mm, but in summary, this is what happened, it's something right? like this. Anyway. <laughs> it's like, but we could just say it this way, couldn't we? Yeah, um, but it's easier, you know, to just move on. <laughs> so he betrays the group to fight for the Ottoman Empire. And in 1442, things go wrong when the Ottoman Empire's leader, he's a sultan, um, he, I think he like, he tricks Vlad mm. because Vlad is, something goes wrong where they were helping each other and now they're not helping each other and now they're mad at each other. So the Sultan says like, Oh, Vlad come or dragon, whatever, come here and bring your two sons and for a meeting, blah, 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 blah. Well, it was a trap and mm. Vlad the second or dragon gets arrested and the two sons that he brought with him, Radu and Vlad the third or son of dragon. They end up being essentially kidnapped. Oh, no. And to be freed from being arrested, 
the father agrees to i don't know how or why but like talk about fucking daddy issues for vlad the impaler Uh oh to be freed dragon says free me and you can have my two sons yeah Let's you just, can, i yeah i saw that coming give give him away just leave him with the sultan of the ottoman empire right so like that's not going to create some problems yeah so now they're in a country that they don't know apparently they're <sighs> it's a language they don't speak um and a, the agreement that they made at some point was that the brothers education would still be continued even though they were hostages Oh, good. Well, as long as you get to do homework while you're being kidnapped, then everything's <laughs> fine. Oh, my God. Kill me. Like, at least you'd get to miss out on school. You know what I mean? Like, I think that'd be at least one perk, but whatever. In such, in such intense education, too. Seriously, like, like, learning French and the piano, I on, can only imagine. Well, so this was um, actually a political tactic because the Sultan was thinking, if I bring them up to be on our side, then I'll build trust between their people and mine. I Which, see. Okay. LOL. I'm going to build trust by keeping the prince hostage. Um, yeah, but it's a little host- it's a little Stockholm syndrome, I guess. Yes, he was very much. If we're going to totally like boil it down to something, Simplify it's he it. was. <laughs> Simplified. He was leaning into Stockholm Syndrome is going to work in our favor. And they're going to like us. What a bold choice. So uh, he raises the brothers. Because both of them, remember, since they're both legacies of their father, both of them could become a boyhood. So they're both being raised this way. And I guess the brother, Radu, he was seen as much more agreeable. And he was uh, adjusted more to the situation than Vlad did. Mm. Um, Vlad was seen as more of the troublemaker. And this actually led to creating a wedge between the brothers because one was getting favored more. Yeah. so on top of like incredible abandonment issues and the pressure of being a fucking prince, um, <laughs> Vlad also now only has a friend in this hostage situation with his brother and now they're being torn apart. So Ooh. leads to a lot of resentment between them. And I think also the Sultan had a son who was growing up and was around their age. So like all three of them were being raised together, but the brother and the Sultan's son were closer. Oh, no. So Vlad felt like the third wheel a lot. Uh, this um, TLC would have a field day with this shit. This is like Game of Thrones <laughs> level drama. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm sure there's a historian out there where it's like, it's called the History Channel. They have it. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, I'm sure it's not the History Channel if you watch that channel lately. No, well, no I it's haven't. It's like all about aliens and shit. It's like Travel Channel. Like they're like, this, never mind. Historians must be pissed. Yeah. Um. So eventually the the brothers are being raised here under the agreement they made with their dad to be freed. But eventually the father starts breaking whatever agreement he made with the Sultan. So the brothers start being treated a little worse. And I don't know what that means because their education continued, but I think they were just not treated as one of the Sultan's own kids, or maybe he, they were, maybe they were being like beaten terribly. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Whatever happened, it ultimately contributed to even more of future Vlad, the impalers tough, exterior if you will i see so five years into the situation it's now 1447 and the ottomans end up killing the dad i think it was like some sort of political move or they just wanted the second vlad the dad vlad the dad got it so the ottomans end up killing him okay and another brother who wasn't held hostage so now vlad's finding out oh through all of this other stuff my life is a nothing but peaches and now on top of all this other garbage my father and another brother of mine have just been killed Ooh, by the people Lord. raising me. Oh, okay. 
later, uh, Vlad, our main character, son of dragon, um, he is released, and this is when he begins his rise to power. And okay. in his own rise to power, some think that his motivation was just to avenge his father and brother. Others say that he was power hungry from the start. Uh, there's a lot of theories as to how he got this way but also like any therapist could tell you that it wasn't going to be good for him i was gonna say things started out rough like let's be honest and keep in mind up until this point he just turned 16 years old oof so some formative years of a lot of fuckery yeah you Um, read my journal from 16 and it sounds like i've been through the same thing and i was (laughs) barely scratching the surface it sounds like so in 1448 he's 16 years old he takes the throne as the next voivode Mm. um but he only holds the title for like fucking two months and then i don't know what the i don't know what the drama is here but if you're a historian and you want to tell me that'd be great Um, (laughs) and wants to know just that Homie gets fucking exiled for eight years. <laughs> like oh. after, after two months of being void. We don't know so why. I think I'm sure there's an actual reason. I just didn't do enough digging on it. But um or no, there's I I still don't know the answer, but there definitely was because I was watching a YouTube video about like his entire life and it, it got mentioned, but I was finishing up notes on something. It just didn't get written down. But he he gets exiled. And so Okay loving the drama that everything he's ever worked for. And then despite all of the fucking bullshit he had to get through on top of that, he finally does become Voivode. Like what an accomplishment. And then eight weeks later, he's exiled. <laughs> so yikes. It was fun while it lasted. I hope. So he essentially is now backpacking through Europe. Like, I think he's just got nowhere really to go. And at some point he here. taking a victory lap and he, um, he ditches the Ottoman empire. I don't blame him. Sounds like they've done a number on him. Yeah. And, he aligns himself with Hungary. Um, he engages, I think, with the Hungarian voivode, and they do okay. like hand-to-hand combat. Oh, and this is in fourteen fifty-six. So now he's six, eight. So now he's twenty-four years old. Um, he's been backpacking this entire time. Then he aligns with Hungary. Now he's becoming. Uh, he has to fight hand-to-hand with another voivode to claim the title. Oh boy. Um, so he, and I'm assuming that another reason that I'm using a bunch of different names and trying to avoid this one is because our main character, Vlad, has to fight, I think, I'm pretty sure, the Voivode of Hungary, whose name is Vladislav. So <laughs> fucking everyone. It's like the name John. So Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so both Voivodes fight each other. Our main guy, he straight up beheads the other one. <laughs> Oh, and what? Im- and immediately, this is like, I guess he won the fight. So he begins his reign as the new Voivode with Hungary's military support. That's all it takes, so, I guess. Just one head. Yep. So immediately he's known as a harsh ruler with no tolerance for crime. LOL, he beheaded someone to get here. No tolerance um, policy. And <laughs> starting now. <laughs> right. It's like, unless it's me. Um, so he also appoints people from other countries and commoners um, to official positions instead of, I guess, like people higher up politically or royally. So I think this was a power tactic because they didn't have any other, they didn't know any other people amongst allies to collude with. So they had to fully rely on him. Okay. If that makes sense. Like he hired people that he could fully control. Um, Right. Like, put uh, his own people under him. I I see. 
And it was also a very scary thing because he fully controlled them. Um, right. And he's he beheaded somebody to get here. So he's not afraid to fucking kill you if you disappoint him. Yeah. Um, which, like, had to be rough because, like, if you're a commoner who has no like qualifications for this job and then you fuck up in some way are you just dead now like <sighs> probably i mean like imagine being an intern at the white house or something uh or actually i'm sorry imagine being you and now you work at the white house all of a sudden and if you disappoint anyone once you're gonna be beheaded <laughs> they're like the president picked you aren't you lucky <laughs> this machete is gonna hang here just in case <laughs> but things are fine oh so terrifying so just an example of how scary i mean he's called vlad the impaler yeah um, it had to just, come up for a reason just to give you an idea of who he is there's um one example of where he invited um the people who overthrew his father killed his brother all that stuff um he invites 200 of the men involved in that and their families to an easter banquet and during the banquet he stabs all of the women <gasps> and old people impales them and he forces all the men into enslavement. What um, the fuck? Just to avenge his father. Jesus who, who, by the way, didn't fucking deserve it because he fucking left you for freedom. Yeah. Talk, I mean, you said daddy issues and it still rings true mm. to me. Just saying. In the coming years, he would continue on with this reputation. There's another rumor where he ate his dinner surrounded by the bodies of his victims that were still jerking around. Ugh. One time he invited um people without homes and a lot of poor people in his community he invited them all over for a feast locked oh them inside and burned the building down to the ground to <laughs> solve poverty in his home oh yeah well glad good it worked seems seems like it worked well thank you for that when conflict arose between vlad and the saxons he set their towns on fire and ha had roughly 30,000 of their people impaled to death 30,000? 30,000. Fuck. He, at this point, was still just called Vlad Dracula or um, Vlad the Third, But at this point, everyone is now calling him the Impaler or Vlad Tepish. Um, in 1462, the Pope, uh, I think Pope Pius II, reported that Vlad killed 40,000 people in attacks throughout Transylvania. And in another battle, he allegedly impaled thousands of people for no reason but to scare the opposing troops. So they weren't even troops. He just killed thousands of innocents. Ugh. And then he displayed them together to make a forest of bodies. Ew, what a sicko. Um, it's also been said that, this is just a rumor, but it's said about him that he would, after killing people, would dip his bread in their blood for dinner. And he would eat surrounded by them and just drink their blood. Oh, that's fucking disgusting. I know it might not even be true, but it's gross. In total, it's estimated that in his lifetime, he killed 80,000 people during his reign. Jesus, fuck. Um, this time period was during the printing revolution, which was the mm -hmm. time right after the printing press was invented in 1440. And the printing revolution allowed written news and propaganda to uh -oh. spread throughout Europe like ever before. So, like never before. So his... Um, so people were writing pamphlets condemning his cruelty and talking in detail. I'm sure this is where like a lot of sensational news came out about him like drinking blood and shit. Right, right, right. Um, this plus the war draining his finances, people getting sick of his violence. He eventually loses power, ironically, to his brother who he trained beside his whole life. Oh, boy. I mean, after all that, and you still lose your seat to, to the brother. 
And you know he had the nerve to go, why? I know. <laughs> Who, me? <laughs> and my zero tolerance for violence policy? So his brother is known as Radu the Fair, which, by the way, he could be fucking awful and still be seen as fair. He could have killed 79,000 people and been the fair one. Like, yeah. I wonder if his name was just sarcasm. It's like <laughs> it's an ironic nickname. Like, between the two, I guess I'll oh, go guess with him. So. He's so fair. Um, so I don't know the story here, but he was imprisoned at one point for 12 years. Um, this is Vlad. He was in prison for 12 years. Then he's released and rejoins the military. He's fighting against the Ottoman Empire. I don't know why anyone, like, allowed him to do anything once he was no longer in power. sit down. In 1476, uh, while in battle, he's defeated and beheaded. So full circle. Wow. In 1820. So this is, like, fucking 400 years later. Time to loop. Or was it time leap? Jump. Time jump. There it is. Um, In 1820, a book is published called The Account of the Principalities of Wallachia and Moldavia with various political observations relating to them, which included information on Vlad Tepish. It's the fucking thing where they just (sighs) love their... Oh, sorry, I fell asleep. (laughs) They just loved their fucking titles. God, they love the words, man. That's as long as a historian's thesis, I think. Um, I think that was the entire thing. So uh, this book came out. 70 years later in 1890, when all your pictures started showing up. I was going to say, this is getting a little too close to home. In 1890, the author, Bram Stoker, Mm. uh, read the book on Vlad and found his inspiration for Dracula. Uh Aha! So he had actually read that in Hungarian, Dracul meant dragon but i guess in romanian it actually means devil so that's why he named his character dracula oh that's kind of fun and i mean yeah um so i mean they both vlad and his character dracula both share the name dracula yeah uh both have some devilish tendencies both known to drink blood both from Mm. transylvania both you know so i get it yeah, it was. It's not even like it was inspired by him. It feels like nearly based on a true Copy story. Based. Yeah. Um. So Vlad, his bloodlust and the descriptions of Transylvania and the Carpathian Mountains uh, obviously affected Stoker's writing. So, right. um, Bram did get a lot of his ideas for Dracula not just from Vlad, but from Victorian vampire media, which needs to be my new hyperfixation. <laughs> That's because my whole identity now. <laughs> Victorian vampire media, which sure. apparently for decades at this point was already incredibly popular. I don't know what I fucking hear about your st- stupid spaghetti westerns. I've never heard about a Victorian <laughs> Sorry, vampire. So, <laughs> so um, I guess up until Bram Stoker got involved, this vampire media that was already really popular had a bit of a different take on vampires or whatever it is but when bram stoker added dracula to the mix it was an iconic cultural reset Ooh. um he based his book entirely on vlad uh, or, or him him basing his book entirely on vlad is often an exaggeration to the truth when really at least half of the inspiration was from earlier vampire media so oh so he didn't yeah okay i get it but the other 50 percent was all fucking vlad the impaler all vlad. so yeah um Dracula, this is where I give you a little thing about him. He had a castle. I'm saying it right. Carpathian Mountains? I think so, yeah. Carpathian. 
he had a castle on a cliff uh, on a cliffside in the Carpathian Mountains, and its description in the book is very identical to the real Brand Castle in Romania. Ah, uh, okay. And I think I'm saying Brand Castle right. I don't know if it's Braun Castle. I'm Can getting. You, how do you spell it? B R A N, like Bran. Okay, I think I'm always confused by it because of Bram Stoker and Bran Castle. I thought the same thing because I always, in my brain, I always thought they named the castle after Bram Stoker. <laughs> but like, what are the odds that it's kind of weird? Stoker, there's one letter off, yeah. And really, it's not even one letter. It's like one extra loop on a letter. Right. It's not even a full letter. <laughs> um, but so. Yeah, I always thought it was called the Bram Castle because it was Dracula's castle written after Bram Stoker. Like, that's I, what I thought. I too, yeah. Okay, so, and I hope I'm saying that right. Again, two different YouTube videos told me two different things. I'm panicking. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing with pronunciation. Um, but, yeah, that's what I thought. But apparently, Bram Stoker wrote about Bram Castle. Okay. Um, and they were not affiliated before that. So, um, as far as I know. But Bran, Bram Stoker, he never actually visited Transylvania, so he could have never seen that castle himself. So a lot of people think it's just a coincidence that he perfectly oh. resembled the castle in his book. Other people say he could have just seen a picture of it and just knew how to describe it well. I mean, like, how many, was it like, oh, it's like made of stone? Or was it like, there are this many walls facing the east, it, facing, like, is it, it how, was is a it little, super... It, it was a little weirdly identical Specific. like oh. even like all the way to like it's sitting on a cliffside in these mountains and like mm. yeah maybe he just like knew about it right i feel like, like if you were about all it. about victorian vampire media someone might have written about a castle you yeah know? or put if they had pictures of these random cowboy children i'm sure they had pictures of this <laughs> castle somewhere you could look up. yeah it's called a magazine ever heard of it so i feel spirit halloween catalog ever heard of it <laughs> so a lot of people are like did you write about this castle specifically or does there just happen to be one that exists mm. that magically matches your description of where Dracula would live? Right. Um, so either way, Bran Castle ended up being known as like Dracula's castle and Dracula's home because the description was so weirdly on point with what Bram Stoker wrote about. I see. Um, also, interestingly, there is evidence that it's very minimal, but there is some evidence that can be very quickly blown out of proportion to suggest that Vlad the Impaler actually did stay in Brand Castle at some point. Oh. Which adds a connection to the fact that the inspiration for Dracula and the inspiration for Dracula's castle actually did have a connection in real life. Yeah. Um, some people say that he was imprisoned there when he was gone for 12 years. Um, we don't totally know. If that's true, it's just weird that like... A person he was talking about in a castle he ended up describing actually were a part of each other's lives. Happened to be, yeah, connected. Um, so Bran Castle has now just become known as Dracula's castle. They've really fucking owned it. Really? Um, <laughs> every year, apparently, there are 800,000 annual visitors to this castle. And gift oh. shops just sell out all the time their uh, vampire merchandise. They, like, I fucking bet. owned it. So, I mean, imagine that gift shop. You know you and I would go ham in that thing. Fucking bonkers. It'd we be would crazy. lose our minds. Our bags would need bags. We'd, <laughs> I need a bag for my bag, please. Shopping for humans is hard, but shopping for your dog is easy thanks to Bark. 
Every month, they deliver toys and treats just for your pup because they deserve to be spoiled. At Bark, they send your dog a whole new collection of toys and treats made just for them every single month. Whether it's their fun plush toys from BarkBox or their ultra-tough toys from Super Chewer, they give your dog exactly what they want. And for a limited time, they'll double your first box for free. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com drink. That's right, you can sign up now at BarkBox.com drink for this exclusive offer. This ad is now over. Let's go back to petting our dogs. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. So Brancastle is, um, and oh God, I really feel like it might be Broncastle. It's said to be one of the most haunted castles in the world. It was built all the way in the late 1300s, and it was actually built on the former border of Transylvania and Wallachia. Oh. And in 1920, um, it was offered to Romania's Queen Marie as Ooh. one of her properties. And she fell in love with the castle and had it restored and modernized, which like maybe means it had light bulbs. I don't modernized. know. Modernized, yeah. She, it did have an elevator. So she oh, did put well, in. Mean, that's pretty modern, I would say. We still have those. She put an elevator in. And it's so wild that, like, I mean, we're really doing a lot of time leaps here, time jumps. But like for it to be built in the 1300s and now we're talking about someone living there within the last hundred years is wild. It is trippy to think about. Yeah. So Queen Marie, she fell in love with it. She restored it, put it in an elevator and it was her favorite residence. But when she died in 1938, her body was buried. Her body was buried with the Romanian monarchy, but her heart ultimately (gasps) was interred in a crypt at this castle. No way. And ever since... Uh, that happened people have claimed to see the queen walking the castle grounds especially in the gardens and stables that she designed herself oh and in the elevator she's like we <laughs> <laughs> soldiers are also seen haunting the castle some in 13th century military uniforms that would scare the shit out of me like anytime i, I hear even about civil that. war soldiers in your bedroom or like uh any sort of soldier with like a weapon it, like that would scare the absolute bejesus out of me but also, like, what does a weapon look like in 13th century military? Well, like, is it an axe? Like, I don't know. Dong, I just went to uh, Germany and saw some medieval castles. So I could tell you uh, a lot of sharp 
knife-like objects that are basically like yeah like knives attached to knives attached to knives like oh a knife for your horse like a knife oh my god it's just like just knives everywhere so scary that was all they had ugh when did guns don't become guns (laughs) okay Um. i mean i assume the winchester (laughs) rifle isn't that when it kind of i guess so yeah yeah, I think so. I don't know. But like when I think of like Civil War soldiers, to me, that's like a Revolutionary War soldiers. That's the oldest soldier that exists. But no, it's no. like there's centuries more than that. Yeah. Um, so 13th century uniforms, I can't even process. So there are ghosts that look there are ghost soldiers around the castle in those uniforms and talk about range because the soldiers here are either in 13th century uniforms or go all the way up to World War II uniforms. Oh, jeez. So some of them are like, wait. Like, are, are we are even in the same military? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who are you? What are you wearing? I'm confused. What is that sharp knife for your horse? What is that weird ballistic handheld you've got going on? <laughs> what are you holding? <laughs> I'm sure they had some sort of gun, but nothing like World War II. So no. World War II soldiers are seen here too because when the queen loved this place so much, her daughter ended up building a military hospital here during <gasps> World War II. So there's also oh, a lot of shit. dead military be- up through the 1940s. So I maintain that like a, a hospital is probably one of the more haunted, like naturally haunted places. Cause like, think I think so too. Pain and like fear. I always think it's hospitals, jails, and whatever. I mean, they're still technically hospitals, but specifically like mental facilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hospitals and jails are just because there's just on mass despair. Yeah. (laughs) You know, or orphanages or. Yowza. Yeah. Many peasants are also seen here, and they assume that they're peasants based on how they're dressed, but it's. I guess a previous ruler also committed similar crimes here that Vlad the Impaler did and mm. just like killed a bunch of their Great. poor here. Um, these spirits are also seen walking around. They're wearing medieval clothing and they look shell shocked, which terrifies me. Oh, that's not good. But like they look like they're traumatized while I'm looking at a fucking ghost that's traumatized. Oh yeah. My what God. about me ghost? <laughs> what about my yeah. feelings? God damn it. My mother is feeling chatty today, too. I've been getting phone calls this whole time from all my family members. Everyone can relax. Um, Emma's just collecting uh, a wall of all of your photographs. Talk about um, en masse despair. What is going on? Everyone's (laughs) just... I don't know. Now you're making me nervous, though. Like... No, I, I I don't know what they want, but I'm sure it's just wanting to talk. My mom's favorite thing is to talk to me in the middle of the day and be like oh what are you doing and i'll go i'm working and then she goes oh great so anyway and then she talks for an hour and a half so anyway let me tell you about me (laughs) i'm busy um and then the best part is always in that phone call she'll complain about how her mom will call her while she's working and like doesn't get the hint that she's working that amazing you're like wow it's probably the meanest grunt i ever make but it's in every phone call in action like and i go uh huh. Annoying, isn't it? <laughs> Interesting development, mother. If history repeats itself, I'm already sorry to my future kids because I'll definitely be calling you at 11 in the morning on a Wednesday and wondering what you're up to at your White House internship. Like, hello. <laughs> um. Okay. So where were we? Oh, yes, despair. So at the same time, people not only see ghosts that look shell-shocked, which we didn't even take enough time to really appreciate that. That's terrifying. It's upsetting. It is. 
um, spirits are seen walking around. They uh, people sense a an overwhelming feeling of sorrow within the castle, and some of the emotions are so strong that people have actually reported cases of mild possession. Oh God! Because the feelings are so overwhelming, it seems to control them. That's really sad because, like, as someone who went through really bad depression, like, that is what it feels like. It feels like it, you have no control over it. And I feel mm-hmm. that to me, that's one of the scarier things when you're at a haunted place that you can be overcome with, like, the despair or the emotions that they felt. Because it's like, how, how do you tell that that's not just me versus, yeah. like, I'm feeling something that doesn't belong to me? Like, that's a really scary gap. I don't know. Yeah. I, and I, I'm sure there's other people out there who struggle more with a mental health than I do. But when it, when it happens to me in places where I feel something, usually I have like a pretty good reason for why my feelings would shift like that. And so if it happens out of nowhere, all of a sudden I'm like, something's happening to my body that I'm yeah, not asking for. Yeah, you can like for. backtrack and be like, what? Yeah, I feel, I feel worse for people who visit these places that are like can much more gradually slip into things on their own and they can't tell the difference. They don't know. Yeah. 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 I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I think I would struggle with that to differentiate what's my feeling versus, I don't know. That'd be hard. I very rarely feel anger. So in moments where I've been in a haunted place and I felt anger, I've known it wasn't mine. Cause I'm like, interesting. I'm like, what the fuck do I have to be mad about right now? And like, like, it's, it can't be Christine stomping around and like ruining all the audio. I'm sure it's not that. Well, I will notice it's more like being, irritated quicker but like i have to stop and be like would i usually behave this way but also Mm. but but there's sometimes like where there might be like in this situation something so powerful it doesn't even allow you to have that filter right like so right where you're just like taken over by it without the intellectual like parsing it yeah you can't rationalize it yeah um in this castle there were once secret passageways but they have been found and so one of them was so well hidden it wasn't even discovered until this century um, oh i love shit like that and this castle was built in the 1300s so i mean it feels like a goosebumps movie to me i'm like imagine if you actually found a several <gasps> centuries old secret passageway in a haunted you lean castle on a stone fireplace and like you hear a, oh. grum- a rumbling and i mean it's all our dreams i feel like it's all millennials dreams to find a secret passageway it's all our dreams but also it's, like yeah. the more impressive part is that if there was a mechanism making this door open and close how is it still working after 1300 years sorcery of some kind it has to be it wasn't even blocked by spider webs over the centuries whatever yeah um but in here even though it's cool people report the most sinister presence and feel something being something staring at them stalking them it feels truly evil this thing in this tunnel which like maybe it's like close the door again like it's well, been yeah i was just thinking like is this one of those dibbic box situations again where it's like well now you've opened it good luck yeah well in this area paranormal investigators have claimed that they have had things like rocks thrown at their heads Jesus. they've seen orbs they've seen green glowing mists um and people have also seen shadow figures walking through doors they've seen people appear and disappear in the halls and people Ugh. have heard a lot of voices talking to them so mainly there are there are ghosts of soldiers, maids, cooks, guards, families, merchants, mercenaries, warlords, and royalty. All said, just to main. Here. That's just the main ones. Just all the, the main, main ones. Six hundred of them. Okay, just the main it. ones. Um, however, Vlad the Impaler himself, because he was rumored to have appeared here at some point uh, while alive, 
Um, his ghost does not seem to be in the castle. So it's probably, probably for the best. It is a nice touch that maybe he's crossed paths with this castle if they both inspire Dracula, but yeah. um, Vlad the Impaler himself is not ever seen here in spirit I mean, form. I'll be honest, that kind of, to me, I know that this is kind of like maybe backwards thinking, but to me, I find that validating yeah. about ghosts. Because I'm like, well, wouldn't you... Someone would Wouldn't make people it up. invent that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. like part of the lore. So I feel like it's kind of validating to be like, oh, the most famous one has actually not been spotted here. I Although know. I would argue, who the fuck is this evil one in the secret passageways? Like, Yeah, and you said warlords. And I'm like, well, what is a warlord if not an impaler? <laughs> the impaler. 80,000 people. <laughs> so apparently no one, I guess, has, you know, heard specifically that it was him. But there have been some... um some very few examples where usually I'm all for whatever evidence people are finding in ghost hunting, but I don't, I don't know them. I don't know if it's been stretched to fit a narrative, but some people have said with dowsing rods, they've been able to make contact with Vlad the Impaler, which by the fucking way, why would you? Don't do that. I'm like, I'm like looking at my dowsing rods now. Like, you know me and I push all these boundaries. That's when I'd be like, no, thanks. Like I, can appreciate wanting to go ghost hunting and getting answers. But like, there's a few people as a ghost hunter myself, I don't really have an interest in contacting. Um, yeah. One of them is the devil. The other is Vlad the Impaler. Um, <laughs> Zozo, uh, Vlad. Yeah. Bazuzu. Yeah. Zuzu. Yeah. I got a handful, but it's like, oh, you want answers? Well, he's just going to tell you exactly what you think, right? Like, he's going to say, I loved murdering people. Like, what, what yeah. answers, Zach? He's clearly a messed up dude. I don't know. So um, anyway, some people have said that they made contact with Vlad and he confirmed the rumor that he was imprisoned here. But this was also very few people have found this. And I would argue a spirit that with that much energy, with that dark of energy would be coming around more often. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not an expert. That's just my my hunch. So uh, if you do for some reason want to encounter Vlad the Impaler's ghost with um, more of a likeliness that he'll be there he's allegedly often in boldu forest at the witch's pond love that he's at a oh. witch's pond it's said that this is the spot where he was beheaded um oh and it's my. an important it's an important pond today for a lot of witches it's said to have um incredibly powerful water both good and bad so it helps in both sides of spell casting it can make items disappear sometimes it's used for healing but the darkness to it also keeps animals from drinking out of it, no matter what, no matter how thirsty Ugh. they are, they refuse to drink from it. That's scary. There's a weird rumor that if someone is pregnant and they don't want the baby, if you bathe <gasps> here, all of a sudden the pregnancy will disappear. I don't e. I don't want to know more details than that, but apparently no. that's the rumor of the witch's pond. So it feels perfectly dark for Vlad the Impaler to be hanging yeah, around yeah. there. Yeah, it sounds like he would hang around there. Yeah. Um, and this is where most people see his spirit pacing the banks for eternity. So that is Vlad the Impaler, Bram Castle, Bram Castle. Wow. There you have it. I always forget when you're telling me stories that at the end there are ghosts. So when you start with the ghosts, I'm like, oh, my God, there's ghosts, too. This is crazy. <laughs> well, I felt bad because with everything I was saying at first, I was like, this is a Christine story for sure. And I was even when no, I was reading through the notes, I was, I was like, does this get haunted? Like what? Where? No, like you are good. You nailed it because like with the 
I mean, I feel like all these stories need the history lesson behind it, even though we don't necessarily like to say it's a history story, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I also that's... don't usually like history, but I love drama, so. But that's Yeah, I feel like we just need to reframe history, you know what I mean? Because I, I don't know if I was telling, was I telling you recently? Maybe it was on the podcast, like, I've realized I like history a lot. <laughs> I like I it didn't... when it's told to me the right way. Yeah, I didn't know that about myself, but I'm like, oh, my favorite part of like any ghost tour and stuff is like learning about all the different buildings and old, you know, I I don't know. I've learned that I really like history, which I think is something that um, my history teacher from my AP Euro teacher is like pulling her hair out. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Now you like history. I know. Um, I I hated history. I still really don't like history unless it's told to me like gossip. Like, yeah, yeah, that must be the key Um, because I'm kind of with you on that. I just love I just love to hear about it. I don't know. I want to know the story of all these people in my photographs. I don't know. Fascinating. Um, well, good job, Em. Thank you. And since you don't know what to expect, I'll tell you, I have a story for you, too. Surprise. What? I know. I have the story today of Martha Moxley. Okay. You know this, you know this one? Mm-mm. No. Okay. So this was one that I sort of knew about just because it, it's a very famous true crime story but i didn't know all the details so i went into kind of a little rabbit hole with it um so let me tell you it's uh takes place in 1975 and the young woman in our story the girl 15 year old martha moxley she lived in bell haven which is a private and exclusive neighborhood in greenwich connecticut aka one of the most (laughs) the most richest one of the wealthiest Uh, areas in the country and she was in an exclusive neighborhood in Greenwich so like very very exclusive right okay is a very wealthy place and of course it's one of those towns where people feel like they are safe and secure and know everything about their neighbors and nothing could go wrong Mm -hmm. and you know we're talking the 1970s like this is pre all the like safety protocols and precautions we take today so of course tragedy will come soon so martha had just moved to this neighborhood a year prior with her parents dorothy and david and her brother john bellhaven was an insular community and was a little introverted it was kind of like old money style like people weren't flaunting their wealth um but martha when she moved in was kind of like a breath of fresh air for the people who lived there she was sort of a California girl. Um, she was bubbly and bright. Uh, people described her as being very girl next door. She had like a wonderful personality. She was blonde and bubbly. Uh, one of her peers said in an interview that she made you feel like you were the center of the world. She just kind of showed up and like brought a ray of sunshine uh, Lit up into a room. people's lives. Lit up a room. People gravitated toward her, especially boys. Uh oh, trouble. Yeah. Nothing good happens there. So despite moving across the country at such a pivotal age, age 15 or 14, I guess, Martha thrived immediately in her new home. She was even voted most popular girl at Western Junior High School, which Mm. I'm already scared of her. And I'm in my 30s. And Um, the power that she holds to be new there and already do that. Uh, to, To move to a new school and be all of a sudden the most popular. Pretty impressive, especially in like a rich richy rich neighborhood you know it had to have been a private school of like 10 people or something Uh, yeah (laughs) that's probably true including her brother so yeah yeah i guess that's probably true 
Um, her brother, John, speaking of him, told CNN, Martha was a person who had everything in the world going for her. She was friendly. She was athletic. She was talented in the arts. Everything seemed to come very easily to Martha. She was very easy to get along with, upbeat, friendly, the kind of kid you'd like to be around. And what she liked to do outside of hanging with her friends was spend time with her family and her cat, Tiger. She also liked hanging out with some of the neighborhood kids, and they got up to the usual neighborhood antics, teenage mischief, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes. Um, and so she did a little bit of that as well. She spent the summer of 1975 hanging out at the pool and tennis courts at the Bell Haven Country Club with wealthy friends who went to elite private schools. So she was kind of thrown into this, like, you know. Gossip girl la era. Lavish. Yes, yeah, a gossip girl-esque environment. And a couple of those friends were called the Skakel Boys. Oh, I hate them. I'm so scared of them. Do you know them? No, oh. <laughs> but they just sound like they have a group name. What are you talking about? I'd be so nervous around them. Oh, it's just their last name. There's two brothers uh, oh. named the Skakel Brothers. And you made it they sound like they had a like their own the little gang. Boys. Yeah. The Skater Skakel. <laughs> like if I ever met a guy and he was like, I'm in a band. We're called the Skakel Boys. I would immediately be inferior. I'd be like, you know, <laughs> at 14 like you're the years most old. popular kid at Western Junior High School. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Skakel Boys was not a band. Maybe it was, but it was mostly just the family across the street. So their mother, Ann Skakel, had died two years prior of cancer. So she left behind her husband, Rushton Skakel. Is that not the most like? A wealthy country club named Rushton. Like he was uh, meant to sign like checks, checkbooks. Oh yeah, that's you know? that's he's good at that. He's got the wrist strength, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she left behind her husband Rushton and their seven children. Oh my god. So Rushton was tremendously wealthy, as you can probably guess. He had inherited a mining fortune, and his family also had powerful connections, and that's because they were cousins of the Kennedys. Holy shit. Okay. Yep. 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 Big name. Martha Moxley became fast friends with two of the Skakel boys, 15-year-old Michael Skakel and 17-year-old Tom Skakel. However, she had her own issues with them. They didn't always get along. They were, The boys were pretty rambunctious. And uh, Martha, one of Martha's friends was refused to even hang out with them, was like these two boys are just too much um some describe them as having explosive tempers uh michael and tom who were two years apart 15 and 17 at the time they were constantly in competition hmm. and it was kind of the reminds me of your vlad and his brother story like they're constantly kind of pitting against each other mm -hmm. and the younger brother always was trying to you know get what his older brother was getting and that was everything from sports to girls uh and ultimately, Martha. Allegedly. <laughs> so, Rushton Skakel, the dad, traveled often. And so he kind of just let the kids live like Lord of the Flies style, but super rich. Like, he just left them at home to fend for themselves. And that sounds so terrifying. Can, just terrible. Seven, seven rich kids raising themselves. In a, in a mansion with, like, no Ooh. consequences. Like... Of course, things were going to go very wrong. There was a lot of partying. Um, and Michael, who was 13, allegedly was already a severe alcoholic by the time he was 13 years old. Holy shit. Oh, my like, God. Like, he had developed alcoholism as a child and drank heavily mm. regularly. Wow. This really bothered Martha. Uh, one night after spending time with Michael, she actually wrote in her diary, quote, 
Michael was so totally out of it that he was being a real ass. He kept telling me I was leading Tom, his older brother, on. Michael jumps to conclusions. I really have to stop going over there. And Mm. let's all take this moment to appreciate the foreboding nature of this sentence. What did you say? (laughs) The awareness of like something's going on. Yeah, definitely the awareness. Definitely the awareness. And also like foreshadowing you know mm-hmm. it's a little bit i should like, not go there yeah trust your gut you know but like you're also 15 so it's, it's not on sure. you you know but it's just sad to see that she already had that kind of inkling so the entry referenced tom's feel this is the older brother who's 17 tom's feelings for martha according to friends most boys who knew martha had a crush on her so tom wasn't really any different um and in her diary she also wrote Went driving in Tom's car, and I was practically sitting on Tom's lap. He kept putting his hand on my knee. In the fall of 1975, she wrote another entry. I went to a party. Tom S. was being an ass. At the dance, he kept putting his arm around me and making moves. Martha also wrote in a letter to a friend that she was not interested in Tom, but it seemed like Tom's younger brother, Michael, was very insecure about this and felt like she was leading his older brother on, uh... And that really bothered him. Mm -hmm. So although Martha's diary makes her sound wary of Tom's affection and Michael's behavior, she did continue hanging out with them. And like, you can't blame her. They live across the street. They're having fun parties. Like, you know, you're 15. You're like, well, it's not, it's nothing serious. Like they can just be annoying, you know, or they can be an ass, but they're a 16 year old boy. Like, of course they can. So you know, there's a sense of security, I imagine, hanging out, like, on your own street with kids your age. Like, I don't think that she knew how drastic the fear really should have been. Mm-hmm. On October 30th, so this is sort of like a, a Halloween story in a way, because Martha it's went over to the... night. It is! Exactly! Exactly. Martha went over to the Skakel house to hang out with the boys and their mutual friends and hang out for Mischief Night, get together for Mischief Night. Mm-hmm. Basically, they would run around the neighborhood. They would throw toilet paper in, each, in neighbors' trees. You know the usual teenage antics before Halloween. Um, I don't know whether cabbages were part of the equation. <laughs> I feel like maybe they painted we had... in gold at this family. At yeah, this house. <laughs> right there, like gold leaf cabbages. Um, and so, you know, they're just doing their typical teenage Halloween antics. Rushton was away on a hunting trip, of course. Of course. Uh, I imagine he had some quail he was after. I don't bald know. bald eagle or something? A bald eagle to, <laughs> to mount above his fireplace, perhaps. <laughs> uh, so everyone was gathering at the Skakel house unsupervised, unsurprisingly. At 9 p.m., Martha and some of the Skakel boys piled into the front seat of the Skakel's car to listen to music. Martha sat in the front seat between... Tom and Michael, the brothers who were vying for her attention. Mm-hmm. And it was shortly after that she was sitting between the two brothers. And then their brother said, oh, we need to use the car. We have to go to our cousin's house to watch the U.S. premiere of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is like, wow, what a time capsule that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they had to get home stat to uh, to watch the premiere. So. This is where the stories get a little muddy. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened from 9.30 p.m. onward that night is subject to debate among everyone involved and pretty much everyone who knows 
anything about the case. The only thing we are certain of is that Martha never made it home that night. By 1 a.m., Martha's mom, Dorothy, was very worried. Um, It wasn't like her to stay out late. Uh, Dorothy notified the police and started calling Martha's friends' houses, but nobody had seen her or knew where she was. In the morning, Dorothy walked across the street to the Skakel house, and Michael opened the door. Dorothy kind of took a look at him and was like, man, he looks hungover. He looks exhausted. He looks like uh, not good. He, He wasn't in good shape. And she asked if Martha was there, and he said, no, she's not here. So she's getting more and more upset, worried. Some people in the neighborhood start canvassing around looking for Martha. They're, they're thinking, well, she probably just stayed the night at a friend's, had a few too many beers, and forgot to tell her mom where she was. Right. So the friends are going around, like, looking for Martha, and it was around noon when one of Martha's friends made a horrible discovery. And this was right at the edge of Martha's and her family's, the Moxley's, property. Martha was found dead, lying beneath a pine tree at the back of her family's yard. Oh, my God. And the scene was absolutely gruesome. Someone had clubbed and stabbed Martha to death. Mm. The blows were all to her head, and the sheer violence of the attack made it seem, as we've noted uh, in several cases, very personal, very very emotional. Yeah, very passionate. And there was also a trail in the grass from where she'd been dragged sort of Ooh. into the line of the woods and then just left. Oh, God. Which just something about that is also so sinister. Police followed a trail of blood to a bigger pool of blood near the Moxley's driveway. And there they discovered the murder weapon, which was the shaft of a golf club. Oh, God. Yes, and this is pretty upsetting. Um, the golf club had been used to beat Martha until the club itself broke, like, <gasps> as in the metal part snapped or broke apart where the oh my joint God. is. And uh, then whoever had attacked her had taken that jagged metal piece and stabbed it into her throat. Oh, oh, my God. I keep yeah. saying, oh, my God. Um, oh, yeah. wow. It's heinous. I mean, it's it's like uh, so brutal. And an investigator described it as a maniacal attack that should have stopped but didn't. And I, I was watching a documentary where they kind of did like a vague recreation or recreation of it. Recreation? I don't know. Recreation? Yeah. And the way they showed it kind of put it in a perspective – to me, where it, that I hadn't really thought of, it was like somebody must have hit her from the back just out of anger, right? Like an initial blow out of anger. And then she had probably fallen unconscious or otherwise onto the ground. And then they had made, they had like a, a forked road in front of them. Like they either get the fuck out of there or they like finish the job, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they clearly went the other direction and Um, was the sorry was the first hit could it have been accidental where like they're fucking around with golf clubs and it just like hit her no i think um they was the first hit was intentional it was out of anger yeah yeah probably like a rage okay So police determined that Martha had been murdered between 9 30 and 10 p.m the night before which gave them a pretty 
concise pool of suspects because everyone knew what she had been doing the night before. So they tried to put together a timeline of that night to figure out who was last seen with Martha. And some friends told police that Martha and Tom, the 17-year-old brother, had been flirting and the friends felt a little awkward and embarrassed. So they left because they were like, we were just watching them like kind of be flirty and like, like, we this, were like this was too hot and heavy gross yeah they're like hey, we don't need those cooties i so. had that i had that happen to two people uh, sorry i know we're in the middle of like a, a, a dark moment, no no please i let do want to take a break <laughs> i do want to say in um at like 14 or 15 it was like the year when everyone was like kind of starting to make out and half oh, the people God. hadn't everyone but me <laughs> everyone but me i had a <laughs> i had a bunch of my friends come over there was like four of them and two of them were very hot and heavy and into each other Mm -hmm. and were like i think doing hand stuff in the room (laughs) with the rest of us there and the other and but they were in my house like i didn't and i was 14 what do you even do i would have been (laughs) so wigged out i don't know what i would have done it wasn't like i could leave but i also i didn't have enough um like you know gall to say get out or go away but also they're 14 so like it's not like they could drive home like i'd still have to awkwardly hang out with them until their parents pick them up to come yeah i feel like i would just like text my mom and be like help yeah make some bagel bites and call us from upstairs i don't know but the other like the other shelter child the other three of us were just watching because we like we there was but like you couldn't take your eyes off of it it was like it was like a train wreck but it was like we were just watching like something so, like stupid on tv it's like we were monty python's flying circus it's always so, something a, similar watching the stupidest things like i remember the first time i like made out with somebody was i've told this story but donnie darko and oh, like yeah. every time i think about donnie darko i'm like oh god that was so embarrassing but like you think back and it's like we just had no fucking shame like at that when you're like in that zone or whatever as like a teenager like i mean again i didn't even through college i uh, none of us really had a lot of shame i, I saw yeah, a lot, there was like a lot such a lack it's kind of like well either stay here and watch or go upstairs i don't know I there was, like there's um, a lack of uh you just throw, had, throw your etiquette out the window you're like well i want to make we, out so we were in college we were all staying in a house and like there were already too many people for rooms and so a lot of people had just stayed on the floor for some reason i needed a bed i think like my my back was hurting or something you're already an old man (laughs) i um but my sorry girl my friend brandy was like in the middle of hooking up with somebody and she was using (laughs) my bed for it (laughs) forget it I just walked in and I laid down in the middle of them. <laughs> just <went laughs> and you were like, oh, let me make myself comfortable. <laughs> oh, man, I just, my sciatica is really acting up. <laughs> it, I, there was something, I think I was just so tired because I was trying to hold out and wait for them to be finished before yeah, I used the room. Yeah, you gave them their time and space. And they were taking too damn long. And I was, and I just walked in and they were in the middle of stuff. And I was like, you can keep going. I don't even care. I'm just, <laughs> just I just have to go to bed. Two feet of space to wedge <laughs> myself in. <laughs> <laughs> i'll put my earplugs in i'll put my earphones in yeah it was a it, it, it was a lawless land between like 14 to 24 That's a it good was word for it it felt lawless and like mine my experiences again i was kind of sheltered so i didn't really have any of that till i was like in my 20 like early 20s i would say or like so you know, co- college <laughs> post-college but like i remember those feelings of like well i did that in front of people 
that i mean we had my my basement was like the hookup pad for a long oh, time God, M. And- it's like it all started when you were 13 and they were like i know the best place to make out it's m's house because everyone else just sits there quietly we literally had a mattress that like <gasps> was known in my like no. i don't think there's a person in my friend group that ne- didn't hook it's up on the so mattress it's just so wild to me because like you always say like you weren't doing that kind of thing and i know like there were i was surrounded by people who were willing to do it publicly that's all like we yeah <laughs> i it's so amazing because i'm like if i i would have been like get the f- yo i don't want to be part of that that makes me uncomfortable but i like that you were just like listen you guys do you that's very um and it was very open. um I, I it's not like i wanted that to be clear but i it was also again a we had uh like there were times when like we were too young to drive but someone would bring someone over and they weren't at their house and they were just they just started hooking up and everyone else was falling asleep we would wake up to hearing stuff and i was like oh Ugh. god but that that mattress became pretty notorious we ended up having to i think burn it it was i would i would think was, that's the only way i could like it was a wild time so i i um i understand the you know just getting hot and heavy and in the moment and maybe there's like a movie that's intentionally bad so neither of you have to focus and then it just and it's like an excuse to like all sit together on a couch and oh yeah Uh, yeah yes exactly and and i also get the feeling of and i i imagine that was also hard not to immediately shift into this horrible thing again but like i imagine that was hard for her friends to the next day have to come to terms with oh i left her there with somebody you know <gasps> oh, what i mean oh my god yeah oh god like, yeah they said oh we just felt really uncomfortable they were being super flirty and this, these kids are like 15 years old you know so i imagine some of them were like i mean she's the cool popular girl at school but like awkward people like me would have been like i'm out of here and then that feeling of like oh shit, other, should i have and other people like me would have been like okay girl do you i'm gonna leave to give you privacy to give and you like, sa- space exactly so it wouldn't have occurred to anybody to like get her out of there she looked like she was having a fine and, time and they know him too it's not like yeah. oh we don't know who she's with it's not it's not a stranger um and so her friends kind of admitted like yeah we they were getting a little flirty and hot and heavy and we felt awkward so we left them alone and that essentially meant to police at least that tom the older brother was probably the last person to see martha alive so you know pretty strong place to start Mm -hmm. and at first rushton uh the dad was pretty cooperative with police he allowed them to canvas his property and you know look around for any sign of what might have happened and while they are canvassing his property they find a matching golf club that used to belong to ann skakel the late ann skakel who had died Mm. a few years earlier so it was one of the family's golf clubs from their set and so they did determine that the club used to kill Martha came from the same set. And I, I, I think I forgot to add this later, so I'll say it now just in case I forget. But the handle of the golf club has never been found. Wow. Still. So, yeah. Still to wow. this day. So somebody must have hidden it, presumably, to hide fingerprints or what mm-hmm. have you. So... Tom, of course, became a key suspect at this point, and police questioned him on the timeline of that night. And this is what he told police. He said Martha left at 930 and he went inside to write a paper for school about Abraham Lincoln. Okay. 
And to that, I say likely story on mischief night when you're all TPing each other's houses and heading home to watch Monty Python. You're telling me you went home and wrote a paper about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, And he said at 10 p.m. he was watching TV with this guy, Ken Littleton. Ken Littleton or Kenneth was actually the Skakel's new live-in tutor who Mm. had moved in that day. So this guy moves in and the next day police are at the house like someone was just murdered and we think you might have like provide a timeline of that night. Like imagine you're like, I got this cushy tutoring gig in this like wealthy suburb and now all of a sudden you're like at the center of this crazy murder situation. And there was definitely some weirdness about Ken that they go over in a few of the documentaries, but it seems a little bit like red herring stuff i don't i don't think he was ever seriously a suspect um okay i'm not 100 percent sure um he was never a suspect in the eyes of the police at least so he said tom seemed totally normal when they were watching tv together and so it was hard for police to kind of wrap their heads around like well okay if he's home watching tv and he had just committed this like brutal murder it doesn't really match up like tom or i'm sorry ken would have sensed something was up if he walked in like Right, just murdered his friend. I feel like even if you, even if you thought you got away with it, if that was the first time you ever killed a person, right. I feel like it would be really something would be weird. Like you'd be at a little least jittery. Your adrenaline, right? Like you'd at yeah. least be shaky or something, or like or, overly know. chatty or something to like disguise yeah. how calm you are, not calm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you'd you'd at least think like, okay, he he would he would have noticed something, um, but. He said he seemed perfectly normal. So police, you know, put him aside for now and said, like, we're not going to rule him out, but we're going to keep looking. Then they go to Michael, the younger brother, who's 15. And Michael tells the police that he went with the other boys, his other brothers, to his cousin's house to watch Monty Python. And he says he got home at 1130 p.m. and went straight to bed. Has no clue what happened. Wasn't part of it. Okay. Despite their many suspicions, investigators could not put together a solid case. They just didn't have enough evidence to hold anybody. So months go by. And at this point, Rushton, on the uh, advice of his attorney, stops cooperating with police, which I can also understand. If your sons are at the center of a murder investigation mm-hmm. and, your and you have that like, much money, like, yeah, I assume your attorney, the first thing they're going to say is like, don't fucking let them wander around looking for clues. You know what I mean? I, yeah, this could be a big I, scandal and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine why why that move was made, so I don't necessarily critique him for that. Um, but because of this, Martha's ca- case basically goes cold, and Bellhaven is now, like, shell-shocked with this newfound fear, thinking, like, oh, God, we hope that this was an outsider who it's a one-time thing, we hope, but, like, maybe it was somebody we know. Maybe it was somebody in the neighborhood. So they're grappling with this in town. And meanwhile, Michael, the younger brother, is continuing to struggle with his alcohol abuse. He gets into a drunk driving incident at age 17. And this is when his father sends him to a private and elite institution in Maine called the Elon School. Oh, we've talked about that. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if you remember, but I read. uh, Oh, he was sent to... uh, an elite school and i went oh no i bet i fucking know which one this is and it certainly is the alan school in maine which i did in episodes 264 and 265 it was a rare two-parter on on my part uh it's 
horrifically abusive. An abusive place that has gone down in history with just like a dark, dark uh, narrative to it. And uh, the point of the school is basically a reform school with like all these kind of, at the time, new agey ideas about like psychology. And they would have them like do screaming I, all I remember is like they would have them stand there and just like scream at the top of their lungs and mm. uh, the punishments were always very um, cruel, cruel. Exactly. And uh, just a lot of terrible shit. Pe- you know, kids were getting injured and dying and it was covered up. There was a lot of stuff going on there. So, I mean, it was a two parter. So if you want to learn more about that. But so he has a connection there as well. And I can only imagine getting sent there probably didn't fix his problems (laughs) you probably wanted a drink for sure yes imagine i imagine so um hard to blame him so he's sent to the elon school which is you know catered to children with mental health and substance abuse problems uh and sort of a reform school and at this point years go by there's no news about martha until 1995 now this is 20 years after her murder her family's just been like waiting for anything so in 1995 a Kennedy was tried for rape in Florida and was acquitted. But somehow a rumor began circulating, and it's not true. But this rumor was that this Kennedy had been at the Skakel's house 20 years earlier when Martha was murdered. Hmm. And even though this was just a rumor and it wasn't even true, it reminded people, like it reminded the public about this case. And so it became a headline again. If that makes sense. Like, yes, that does make sense. The guy wasn't actually there, but because it was a rumor, people were like, oh, yeah, the Martha Moxley case, whatever happened to that? And it came Mm. back into the public eye. Okay. And so because of this, public pressure mounted until police decided to reopen the case. And this time they started off offering a reward and launching a tip hotline that people could call. So Rushton feels like, okay, now the pressure's back on. Eyes are on me again because of this whole Kennedy scandal in Florida. And so he thinks to himself, I'm going to hire my own investigators to clear my family name. Oh, boy, did this backfire. Uh Uh-oh. Big time. So he has these investigators compile a report to, like, prove his family's innocence, right? Well, that report was never meant to see the light of day. But Did they find a little too much? Somebody leaked it to the press. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, uh-oh. So in this never-meant-to-be-seen report made by Rushton's own personal investigators, Oof. they found shocking confessions from Tom and Michael that both boys had lied to the police and admitted <gasps> this to their own personal investigators in 1975. According to them, they both only lied because they were both innocent and thought the truth would make them look bad. Uh Uh-oh. Well, this makes you look bad, my friends. Yeah. Talk about like a double, like a back, big backfire. Double whammy. Yeah. Double whammy. Like you're trying to make yourself look better and you just like dig the hole deeper, you know? So Tom told his father's investigators, this is the older boy, that after the other boys had left to go watch Monty Python at their cousin's house, he didn't go inside right away. In fact, he stayed outside making out with Martha for about 20 minutes before they parted ways. Okay. 
And this version of events made more sense than his initial homework alibi, especially after investigators had discovered that no teacher had assigned a paper on Abraham Lincoln that during that time. So, like, at first they were like, you are writing a paper on Abraham Lincoln. They talked to the teachers. No teacher had assigned a paper on Abraham Lincoln, but they couldn't, like, prove it. But now they're like, aha, okay. So there was never a paper on Abraham Lincoln. He bullshitted that. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, he was outside making out with Martha. So Tom insists that he left Martha alive and well outside, and it was the last time he ever saw her, and he had nothing to do with it. But he thought making out with her would look bad. That is true. And so he never told police. Meanwhile, Michael's story was even worse, even more concerning, even more red flags. He went golfing. (laughs) That's a really good guess. What? Not quite. It's actually way worse. So he said that once he got home at 1130, he actually didn't go straight to bed. Instead, he went to Martha's house. He said. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. He climbed a tree with a view of Martha's window so he could watch her for a little bit. Then he said he could see her through the window. And so he masturbated in the tree. So the belief now became, at least among investigators and people who are critical of this family, that he is saying this to put his DNA at the scene for a reason, if they find his DNA. This is one of the theories, is that he said that. He knows it's there. He knows it might be there. That's one of the theories, is that why would he admit to this? Well, maybe he was trying to cover for the fact that... But they never found his DNA, so it's also like... Hmm. We don't know if, if you know, all that to say, that's w- one of the theories. Uh, but he did say he masturbated in the tree. And uh, at one point, Michael, uh, when he was older, pitched a tell-all book on Martha's murder and his own innocence. And again, this guy's like doubling down and making himself look worse because he referenced the event and he had made these like audio recordings. You know, when like people, like fancy people write books and they like do like a transcription oh, yeah. or like, they're like talking story to idea yeah story yeah, idea. yeah 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 <laughs> exactly like chapter one how i became the person i am you know so <laughs> he is basically pitching his own book about his own innocence in regard to the martha moxley case and these audio clips come out and he references the event and so he said when dorothy moxley came over the next morning asking about martha he was all panicked because he thought maybe she'd seen him in the tree or maybe he had gotten caught mm, okay so soon witnesses started coming forward with more troubling news and these were some of michael's classmates at the elon school and they said that michael once confessed to martha's murder in group therapy oh god yeah, but the school's owner, Joe Ricci, denied it. So it's like a he said, he said. Well, I'm sure he Another- was getting paid famously to have one of those kids at the school, right? Oh, probably. I imagine that. I think the tuition was, yeah, notable. Yeah. I also think this Russian guy would have probably made a heavy donation to, like, make sure he was treated right or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also, like, you can't even necessarily trust, like, after learning all that we did about the elon school it's also like hard to trust anyone's confession in a place where this is not a safe medically supervised place and it's all full of children who are being abused so you know it's hard to say like oh even if he did say it who knows if it was just part of their weird new age procedures or what but 
this classmate said that he did admit to it. So another former classmate, Gregory Coleman, said one of the first things Michael ever said to him was, I'm going to get away with murder. I'm a Kennedy. And according to him, Michael had admitted to beating Martha to death after she rejected his advances. Now, another classmate, John D. Higgins, said Michael confessed to him, too, but he was crying and confused during his confession and told John that he only remembered fragments of the crime after he committed it. Okay. So it's not looking good for Michael. Is there any world where Michael didn't do it and he was trying to, like, look cool to the other guys to, like, earn bragging points? Yeah. Okay. That's kind of where the disparity comes in of even if he had actually said it, maybe it was just pressured out of him. Maybe he was bragging. Maybe he was trying to establish a place in like a hierarchy that was kind of Lord of the flies, you know, who knows what like the motive was. We don't even have proof that he did admit to it. Okay. But like you said, even if he did, maybe it was just a brag or a a lie, you know? Um, So it's, it's unclear, but it's also not a good look for someone who's trying to claim they're innocent. So in 1998, the state attorney convened a rare one-person grand jury to assess all the evidence in the case regarding Michael and Martha Moxley. After an 18-month review involving dozens of witnesses, Michael Skakel was indicted on charges for Martha's murder in January of 2000. At the hearing, he approached Dorothy Moxley, uh, Martha's mother, and said, I feel your pain, but you've got the wrong guy. Also, don't say I feel your pain. You don't. That's crazy. That is that's, a crazy thing to say. That's wild. You're incorrect. You I don't. know how you feel. No, you literally don't. But okay. So the defense tried to get Michael tried as a juvenile because he had been obviously 15 at the time of the alleged crime, which would mean little to no jail time, even with a guilty verdict. But the court determined to try him as an adult. So now, by the way, Michael at this point is 41. <laughs> and this occurred when he was 15. Jeez, it has followed him. Yes, and it continues to do so. So in 2002, he's 41, he goes to trial. And the prosecution aims to discredit Michael's alibi. One witness testified that she was at the Skakel house that night and that Michael did not go to his cousin's house to watch Monty Python. So she's like, that whole chunk of his story is a lie. Although there was no forensic evidence like DNA or anything tying him to the crime scene, witness testimonies were pretty compelling. So in his closing argument, the prosecution did something that even the people who find Michael to be guilty considered unethical. Really shady tactic, in my opinion, as well. The prosecution played the recording Michael made referencing masturbating in the tree where Mm -hmm. he was worried he'd been seen in the act. But the prosecutor removed the context. So the recording sounded like he was worried that someone had seen him that night at the scene of the crime. So to explain it a little clearly, they have a clip of him saying, oh, because I had masturbated in the tree. I was worried that maybe someone had spotted me that night. They cut out the tree part and just put played the recording of him saying, I was so worried that I was caught at the scene that night, you know. And so they made it sound like he was admitting to being at the site of her murder when in fact he had been talking about the tree being a peeping Tom in a tree. Mm -hmm. So unethical, not, not great. Um, but it was basically the final nail in the coffin. Um, I also meant to send you some photos. I feel like there's something about like seeing these people, like these 
kids and just seeing like how I mean young and like here's Martha and we'll post these on Instagram um, as well and I'll send you a picture of Michael at the time okay that's Martha that's Martha I mean they're so little they are oh man they are so young they even have like baby face they do they're I mean 15 and then um this is Michael this is Michael um in court so this is you know decades later wow so just to give you kind of a visual um because I think that's something about these documentaries that are that's like powerful too is seeing the old photos and putting a face to the names um so anyway, this confession, quote unquote, that they played seemed to be a final nail in the coffin. So on August 30th, 2002, Michael was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison for the murder of Martha Moxley. Wow. But Michael didn't give up. Uh, he got a new defense team who started working on appeals. And, you know, he has the money to be hiring new people to be hiring the best of the best attorney wise. Then a man named Tony Bryant came forward. Um, I believe he's a cousin of Kobe. Oh, Bryant. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure uh, that was the story. His name's Tony Bryant, and he came forward with somewhat of a strange story. He claimed that two of his friends from New York City had actually murdered Martha Moxley. Whoa! What? Okay. Plot twist. Random fact time. I guess. Random Just... fact time. Okay. According to him, these two friends had visited Bellhaven several times and had once met Martha at a local event. Tony said one of his friends had become obsessed with Martha and possessive of her whenever he was around her. On October 30th, 1975, allegedly, according to him, the three of them were walking around Bellhaven and this friend who was obsessed with Martha picked up one of the Skakel's golf clubs and said they were going to hurt someone that night. Mm, His other claim was that the friend who was obsessed with with Martha claimed he would go all caveman on her and get what he wanted. Ew. Yeah. And, you know, this put into perspective to me also when they talked about the golf club and it coming from the Skakel's house, that sounds so damning. But at the same time, the way that these kids who are, you know, now adults described the environment, they said there were just golf clubs everywhere. Like we lived basically in a country club. Yeah. You know, it wasn't unusual for someone to just take a golf club from the Skakel's house. Sure. And go, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, somebody must have broken into the garage and steal in the golf club. They were just kind of laying about. Um, gotcha. Okay. Which is like the most stereotype of like country club people. Like they just have golf yeah. clubs scattered about <laughs> the lawn that apparently they literally did. So it kind of puts into perspective like, okay, I guess it's possible someone else picked up a golf club and attacked her with it. Sure. So when he saw them again, allegedly Tony was like, yeah, my friends were like, we're going to hurt this girl and go caveman on her and they never said martha's name but he said later on he ran into them again and they told him they'd killed a girl oh my god yeah and so this is this groundbreaking story coming forward then one of michael's classmates 
who claimed Michael confessed to the murder. This is one of the people from the Elon school who had said, no, no, Michael told me like he killed Martha. This guy comes forward and goes, I have something to admit. I have a confession to make. I was high on heroin when I said that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so you also have been high on heroin when you killed her. Like, what? No, the friend, sorry, the one from the Elon school who had come forward and said, Michael told me he killed Martha. Then like years later came forward and said, oh, I know I said that, but I was high on heroin. So I don't. When I accused a person. When 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 I I, accused him or when I, when I made up the story or when I told the story that he had killed Martha, I was high on heroin. And this guy actually ended up dying of an overdose. So, you know, it was easy in the eyes of michael's defense team to like discredit this guy and say well this guy is high on heroin are you going to believe everything he says you know so at this point michael's defense team feels pretty strongly they file an appeal largely based on this tony bryant's testimony um the only problem is that tony refused to testify under oath uh so they only had a recording of his story and unfortunately this did not win over uh the court and the appeal was denied Mm -hmm. so we fast forward to september 2010 and michael's new attorney files an appeal which argued that his previous defense team had failed to properly represent him they argued that tom his older brother should have been called to the stand and that he might have been the one to kill martha and now a new witness came forward and said no he was at his cousin's house that night i was there so oh i mean God. it's basically he said she said like yeah back and forth nonstop. and it's like been decades so it's like d- does anyone really remember are they are their memories being colored by all this craziness you know how much of this is true how much of this do you feel pressured from the family it's and all also, very if it wasn't them yeah if it wasn't 25 years of this following you around and you didn't do anything wrong you know (gasps) yeah 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 exactly and so they're very exactly and that's why they're very strong divided opinions on this like some people are like he was in unjustly imprisoned and then people are like he absolutely fucking did it you know there's a Mm -hmm. very polarizing case so they argue Tom is the one who should have been called to the stand. A new witness comes forward and says, I did see him at his cousin's house watching Monty Python, I swear. And so this is like a he said, she said. And in 2013, a judge finally granted Michael a new trial on the grounds that he had not been effectively represented in 2002. Michael was released from prison after 11 years on $1.2 million bail. But in 2016, the Connecticut Supreme Court ruled his legal representation was, in fact, competent, and they reinstated the murder charge. Mm. So it's like back and forth. He's in jail. He's not in jail. He's a murderer. He's not a murderer. So after the hearing in 2016, Martha's mother, Dorothy, said, I am sure that Michael is the young man who swung the golf club. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Oh, damn. So that's damning, at least coming from Martha's mother. Now, this is when our good friend Robert F. Kennedy Jr. comes into play. Oh, I was wondering when he'd make an appearance. <laughs> he always does, huh? Um, so RFK Jr., a um, little bit of Looney Tune, ju- uh, you know, as we record this, uh, just announced he's running independent in 2024. Uh, no comment. So 
RFK Jr. He's a former prosecutor and environmental lawyer, and he was convinced of his cousin. I just want to clarify their cousin, so there is some bias here, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Convinced of Michael's innocence. So he wrote a whole book about it. This book is called Framed, colon, Why Michael Skakel Spent Over a Decade in Prison for a Murder He Didn't Commit. This book that RFK wrote pointed the finger back at these two friends that Tony talked about, the New York kids. Okay. And he said those are the real culprits. He claimed to have definitive proof that they were the culprits, but they there were obviously some holes with his story. So the book claimed that Martha wrote in her diary about meeting Tony and his friends, referring to them as two strangers she encountered at a dance. Nope. In the actual diary entry, she says several guys asked her to dance the night of the dance. That's it. She doesn't talk about strangers. She doesn't talk about meeting two boys from New York. There's no reference to them. And even even if even if they happened to be there for some reason, they would have been two of the many boys who asked her to dance. She wouldn't know. And and the thing that's so like jarring is like he claims he has definitive proof and it's like that's definitive proof to you like a diary entry where multiple people asked her to dance yeah a a diary entry where they're not mentioned (laughs) exactly it's not a strong case sorry bud uh so she then went on to list several boys she danced with by name and she said she danced a lot with her friend dickie and they talked to dickie cbs news reached out to him interviewed him He said, yes, I did. I danced with her a lot that night. I spent most of the night with her. I never saw Tony or his two friends from New York. Wow. Okay. That doesn't hurt. Or that doesn't help their case. It does not. And also, I will argue, I've left this fact out because it's so jarring and like adds a lot of nuance to the case. But it's a significant detail that this Dickie kid said, I didn't see these two friends because... Tony and one of the two friends are both black and in a Mm. neighborhood like this, you would have noticed if they were there. Okay. If these two out of town city boys, right. Who were black are coming to town. In a 1970s country club. In a 1970s country club, allegedly obsessing over this girl. Like he would have, people would have taken someone would have someone there was racist and someone someone would have said something someone was come on we can all agree on that right guys like we could meet there in the middle yeah um (laughs) yeah so it's it's telling and bellhaven like i said was a very exclusive heavily white neighborhood where even white people who didn't really fit the majority stood out like a sore thumb like even Mm -hmm. if you came from different means but you were still white you stood out so two black kids from new york would have stood out right dickie told cbs there is no way two black teenagers could have hung out in Bellhaven in 1975 and gone unnoticed it's just not possible someone would have remembered them going to the dance or hanging around the night of martha's murder and also i gotta be honest I watched this special called Murder and Justice, The Case of Martha Moxley. It's a multi-part documentary. Um, I don't know where to watch it because I hacked into my dad's Xfinity account and watched <laughs> it that way. <laughs> um, but it's it's online and uh, it's a multi-part documentary. It's hosted by former federal prosecutor Laura Coates, and she's black. And she does an interview with RFK Jr. And I just love this moment because he's like so staunchly saying, oh, yeah, they didn't these two kids did it and 
people, you know, whatever. And this <laughs> former federal prosecutor who is also black looks at him and goes, I mean, I like I, I'm going to paraphrase. She said it much more eloquently, but she basically said, OK, let's be real here. This is the United States in 1975. And you're telling me that if two black kids had been there, they weren't the first people everyone pointed a finger at. Like if they had been hanging around, right. you don't think they would have immediately been taken into the station and that would have been easier pill to swallow for the rest of the neighbors than like the kid across the street who's a Kennedy. I mean, come per- on. like Perfectly, perfectly said. Right. Like she put him so on the spot and he's like, well, it's because this and that. And it's like, no, no, I don't believe you. Anyway, it was like 15 years into like desegregation. I mean, or, yeah, you know. Yeah. And this is like the height of like that kind of preppy, like we're entering the 80s polo club. I mean, come on. We can all agree that if they had been there, they would have been an easy target. But for some reason, he kind of casually dismisses that and says, no, 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 but I have definitive proof and then never seems to show it. So whatever. I do recommend watching that documentary. I thought they did a good job. Um Tony even mentioned that his friend, who was allegedly obsessed with Martha, was particularly interested in her blonde hair. And now it became sort of like this, I don't even know, straw man, like scapegoat story of this stereotypical young black man who's coveting this wealthy small town white girl. Like it became such a trope. And like some people found that really easy to swallow like oh this black kid must have just looked at her and thought i want that for myself you know yeah it's it just a very like cringy take you know um the accused man's attorney who's also interviewed in this documentary very well spoken like i think does a really solid job of defending his client claims it was a clear case of black and white and two of martha's friends agreed in an interview that robert f kennedy and michael were trying to scapegoat the most vulnerable person they could find a young mm-hmm. black man who was out of his element in this yep. white neighborhood and i will uh add here i put a <laughs> just in case we needed it i put a screenshot of some of the shit rfk jr has said in the past few years because i'm like if anyone even tries to challenge me on like, well, it's not racist. I'm like, okay, well, I have some uh, definitive proof, okay, uh, <laughs> okay, about bullshit he said um, about COVID and other uh, other silly relevant, things, timely, yeah. silly, silly, goofy things. Um, so I have this here. If anyone wants it, anyway, in a November 2020 CBS special, an interviewer asked RFK. Do you have any regrets pointing the finger at two people who have never been suspects? There's no physical evidence that ties them to the crime. This is a factual statement. They're literally just asking this question. He stands up in the middle of her sentence, tells her she was wrong. There was plenty of physical evidence linking them to the crime. What is the evidence? Nobody knows. He never told us. (laughs) It's a fun little secret. Uh, Unclear what the evidence is. And Michael's defense team continued to rally behind him with this kind of narrative, like they're creating this narrative here uh, to try and uh, clear his name, basically. They even, like I said, pointed the finger at his older brother, Tom, who they claimed is the most likely culprit, which I'm like, I thought it was a black kid. But okay, I guess it's also your brother. Um Anyway, on May 4th of 2018, with a new judge seated, the Connecticut Supreme Court reversed its 2016 ruling and vacated Michael's conviction in a 4-3 ruling, and they granted him a new trial. When asked what the Moxley family planned to do in response, 59-year-old John Moxley, Martha's brother, said, 
I don't know what the next steps are. My mom is getting older. I just don't think she has the strength to go on with this, which oh. is just like heartbreak. I mean, think of all the back and forth and just yeah. trying to get answers. On October 30th, 2020. So this is 45 years to the day mm-hmm. after Martha's murder. The state of Connecticut officially announced that Michael would not be retried for Martha Moxley's murder. It was decided there was not enough evidence to prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, at this point, it'd been so long. I mean, 45 years of 51 potential witnesses, 17 had died. There was no forensic evidence to prove that he had been at the case. So John said, the brother, he'll be in jail for the rest of his life. He may not be physically in jail. He may be walking the streets, but he'll be in hell at some point. I was like, ooh. That's powerful. Fucking, yeah, moving. Whew. So today, no one is legally responsible for Martha Moxley's brutal death uh, as the charges have been overturned. Um, but Dorothy remains convinced it was Michael. And she is one of these people you see and you're like, wow, you are an old soul. Like, she is so... She's been through so much pain, but she just sits there and she's like, if I'm wrong, I'm going to be so sorry. And uh, the... Uh, host says but you don't think you're wrong she's like oh no I don't think I'm wrong she's like I understand like if I am wrong of course that's a really bad thing but I don't think I'm wrong and I think I I know who did it and she Mm. said like you know I have a really happy life I have a really blessed life I've I have so much to be thankful for and she said and he's gonna live the rest of his life with this following him around and you know what yeah another point she made too was she said people come up to me and say nice things I have caring friends I have people who take care of me who love me who say nice and kind uh things to help me heal she said I don't think anyone's saying those things to Michael Skagel I don't think he's getting nice Damn. messages from people. I think he's going to be followed by this forever, uh, even if he's not in jail. So Oof. nobody, nobody, nobody's in jail for it. Dorothy, Dorothy remains convinced it was Michael. And she said, I will never forget the day they found him guilty. It gave me all the sense of justice I needed. So she almost feels like that was closure, even though he was later you know, released. But she felt like, you know what, that day I felt like I got my justice and I I felt secure in that. All Um, right. And this, this part, uh, Sersha added in and, and wrote like kind of a note saying this was actually the, cause I didn't watch the CBS episode. Um, but, uh, Sersha said, this is the closing note of the CBS episode. So (laughs) like, they were like, I don't know if you want to use it. You can, but it's like the same thing that they said, but it's really powerful. So, um, okay. Or as Sersha said, really haunting. So I'll just read the last line of, uh, how they ended the CBS special in Martha's diary at the end of 1974. She wrote, dear diary today is the last day of 74. Boo hoo. 74 has been one of the best years of my life. Well, hope 75 is just as good. Oh, and uh, that, that is, is the story. Haunting. 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 That's like, especially when I read earlier that thing of like, man, I shouldn't go over there anymore. It's like, oh, God, it's that hindsight of, you know, 2020. Yeah. Looking back and feeling like, oh, man, I just I wish I wish there was any way eerie. to get her out of this situation. Um, but wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fucked up. Well. Good telling it. I just, 
I found it really, um, uh, I don't know. I found watching Martha's mother, Dorothy, talk about her life with this, uh, like, hanging over her, very inspiring. I can't imagine the heaviness of 25 years or however long it took. 45. 45. Oh, my God. 45 years? Mm Wow. Wow. And she's just like such a, you could just tell a very strong, self-assured and kind woman. And I feel like that kindness is a strength. Like, I think if I went through something like this, my my resentment and bitterness would be so overpowering. And I mean, I'm sure she's had decades to reflect and therapize and what have you. But I mean, I can't imagine I would ever be able to really let go of that, like, anger and hatred, you know? I feel like that would just tear me up inside. So. Not me. Not, not me. I'd Couldn't be a lot meaner. Me. <laughs> um, speaking of mean, just to shift, gift, shift gears here, um, mm-hmm. I got a text from my mom just now. Oh, God. And she texted me saying, what I think you want? smell, she said, I think you smell like milk. Huh? And, um, well, that's very rude. And then, yeah. And then I said, I smell like milk. And she said, good cold milk (laughs) and then she said i love the smell of grapefruit though is she is this oh wait is this one of your secret code words like is she in the trunk of someone's car and you get to (laughs) know like is it like you smell like milk alert red alert (laughs) i would like to call someone and ask them to put her in a trunk if she's gonna keep telling me i smell like fucking milk (laughs) she's gonna end up in your trunk you're gonna go pick her up be like come on get in the car which like i also don't smell like milk No, you don't smell like milk to be clear like if i don't know if you needed that validated but like i can confirm my mom and i aren't very physically affectionate she's never near me enough to smell me and then also i live on the other side of the country what is she smelling here's my theory she hasn't been around maybe she drinks oat soy i don't know whatever she doesn't probably doesn't drink a glass of milk right Mm -hmm. something happened she happened to be pouring a cold glass of milk milk on cereal who knows what and as she's pouring the milk she goes this reminds me of m and it's probably because you're the only person under the age of 65 who drinks a glass of milk ever and so it's probably like oh this smells like someone oh it's it's gotta be em who else the fuck drinks plain old plain ass milk out of a cup so i feel like that's my theory i am a little worried though because i have heard that um apparently to people of color white people do smell like milk oh have no you heard this or we smell i've heard we smell no, like milk said- i've heard we smell like pennies, pennies. And I've also like we smell like outside, which it's like I could I get the outside thing. I can smell that on, on people. Yeah. But, like the milk one really freaks me out. That I'm like, that's a funky a smell. Yeah, that's bad. And I'm so sorry to people who have to live with that sense. Like if you're a person us, of color and we smell like milk and you just I'm have to so be near that all the sorry. time. That's if anyone needed a reason to shower today. Just I was me. gonna say I didn't think I needed a reason, but you just gave me one. So now I've I'm heard like, it's like like the wet dog smell. It's like when we're when we come out of the shower or something. Yeah, and by the way, you told me that like one time while we were hanging out, and I was very pregnant, and Gio had just gone on the balcony, and we let him back in, and you were like, "Did you know that this is what you smell like to people of color?" And I was like, <laughs> um, "Thank you. I'm very heavily pregnant, but thank you for I, that nice fun fact." I texted some of our friends. I text, and I, I was gonna say my friends, but you know them too. I've, 
I've texted a few people and I went, hey, just like a quick question. Like, I just learned after 30 years of being a white person that apparently yeah. I smell like yeah. pennies and wet dog milk. Sick. <laughs> and it was not denied. Oh, um, <laughs> no. I remember. Yeah. You were like, I mean, Christine confirmed it. The other Christine. And I was like, well, I think that's oh, yeah. all we need to know. She's one of the people who confirmed it. She was like, who it, told you? Yeah. You. Uh, yeah. Who told you? That's secret knowledge, which I love yeah. that that's such a power. That's like such a power card that they have uh, in their pocket if they need it. Because like that will demolish some people. Probably not I'll, all people. But it, to me, I'm like, sleep hurts. about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I, but yeah, so my mom telling me also just hurts even works. It's like, it's one thing if strangers think that about me, but my own mother from across the country. That, yeah. She's like, huh. I never noticed I before. It's like, ah. I, I feel like she thinks that's a compliment. Like I smell like ice cream or something, but like, <laughs> no, I'm thinking of like curds of milk. Anyway. Yeah. I feel like milk is one of those smells where for like a few days, not a problem and very very low smelling but i feel like if milk has a smell that's when you know things have gone wrong you know exactly if i smell like milk i smell rotten so like, yeah you smell like mel- milk that smells which is bad milk yeah oh well thanks mom anyway you smell great too <laughs> jesus <Linda>. um <laughs> you smell like a wet dog okay <laughs> good good way to end this so um everyone <laughs> Go take a shower. This is also your reminder to stay hydrated, you filthy little rats. Oh, I drank my whole iced tea. And uh, I guess that's it. So, and? That's? Why? We? Drink. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.